Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in this episode, which is the last episode of season one, being that I am right up on New Year's Eve, I wanted to do an episode on New Year's stories and traditions from the 1800s. So I've been researching old newspapers about the subject of New Year's and New Year's Eve and any stories that I could find that were interesting enough to put together in an episode here and share some of the insight about New Year's and traditions from that time period. So come along and join me. So the first story that I've got here comes from the Marshall Democratic Expounder and Calhoun Patriot which was published in 1869 on December 16th. And this article is very short. It talks about a New Year's dance. And it says, New Year's dance, we notice that Jerry Van Dusen is out with handsomely printed invitations for a New Year's dance at Eagle Hotel in Bellevue on New Year's Eve. We have neglected to mention that Jerry, some weeks ago, took charge of the Eagle Hotel in Bellevue. The Bellevueans may congratulate themselves on having in charge of that house one of the most experienced and accommodating landlords in the state. And who knows how to keep a good hotel up to the handle. And that was the extent of the article. So that was the earliest one I could find in my recent search that references a New Year's event or party. And this was in 1869 in Bellevue, Michigan. So they were holding a New Year's dance. And apparently the new hotel owner was putting this on at the Eagle Hotel. Must have been a fun evening for everybody. The next two articles both were published in the Marshall Statesman in Marshall, Michigan on December 30th, 1887. And there are two different unique articles about New Year's and New Year's Eve. And this first one is actually a poem of sorts. It was written by Alfred Tonneson. And it reads, New Year's Eve, ring out wild bells to the wild sky. The flying cloud, the frosty light, the year is dying into night. Ring out wild bells and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new, ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false, ring in the true. Ring out the grief that sapes the mind. For those that hear we see no more, ring out the feud of rich and poor. Ring in redress to all mankind. Ring in the valiant man and free, the larger heart, the kindlier hand. Ring out the darkness of the land. Ring in the Christ that is to be. And that was the end of the poem. Not as clever as some of the other poems that I've had the pleasure of finding, but it was just an interesting one and had a really incredible graphic with an old man sitting there holding a baby on his lap. Now, the other article that was published in this same newspaper is called New Year's in Many Lands. And it's quite extensive, and it goes into New Year's celebrations across the world. And this is, once again, this was published in 1887. So this is their presentation of what was happening around the world and the history of New Year's around the world at that time. In China, New Year's Day is the chief festival of the year. It comes by the uncertain calendar of our antipodes late in January or the beginning of February. It is celebrated with many of the observances peculiar to New York. 
visits are exchanged, presents made. The Chinese, clothed in their finest dress, hasten from house to house and call upon their nearest friends. Wines, cakes, and confectionaries are offered. Congratulations are exchanged, and good wishes for the new year pass from guest to host. It is said that the Chinese ladies share in the festivities, but they probably consume their sweetened balls of rice and their sugared fruits in the inner rooms of their dwellings. The resemblance between the Chinese celebration of New Year's Day and that of our ancestors is so alike as almost to prove that one is borrowed from the other. For thousands of years, the Chinese have exchanged visits and good wishes on New Year's Day. When Caesar penetrated the Baltic marshes and when the errant Gauls descended to the sack of Rome, we may be sure that the custom has never changed. One of its peculiar traits may well be borrowed in other lands. On New Year's Eve, every Chinaman pays his debts and is freed from every liability. For 10 days before the New Year business ceases, Accounts are balanced and books written up. Honesty is a Chinese virtue, and the unlucky bankrupt in his remorse is often driven to suicide. The Chinese among them are contented, cheerful, uncomplaining people. Family life among them is usually happy and united. The teachings of Confucius and Minutius are full of hope. On our own continent, long before England and Holland had adopted the Eastern custom, New Year's Day was celebrated with strange and fanciful ceremonies in the splendid cities of Yucatan. The story of Mayan civilization as of yet only imperfectly unknown. But we may still wander amidst the ruins of its great capitals along highways once trodden by countless travelers and lift in part the veil that hides its fallen splendor. Fifty cities, it is said, cover the peninsula of Yucatan. They were joined by fine roads paved with stone. Their temples and public buildings were of enormous size. They were not far behind the Chinese in many of the refinements of a civilized life. To the Mayan, the new year came, as to all other races, the symbol of a new existence. The temples were swept and decorated anew. Perfect cleanliness was a part of their faith. The huge idols were carefully freed from dust. The children of the schools and the priests and nobles joined in the work of purification. Many persons fasted for 30 days before the New Year's ceremonial. But when the morning dawned, all was joy and congratulation. The women of Yucatan, like those of China, took part in the ceremony. But the princes, nobles, and priests, clad in fine robes, filled the courts of the temples. A banquet of Mayan delicacies was provided. Wine and intoxicating liquors flowed freely. The people drank madly, and the barbaric scene usually closed in a fierce and bloody contest. In their wild superstitions, the Mayans surpassed even the lowest savages. They fed on the bodies of their captives and slaves, and their temples rang with the shrieks of their victims. Roman, Egyptian, Hebrew, Greek rejoiced with the same new year. At Rome, an image of the Golden Age was imagined. The slave became for a moment free. Perfect equality ruled in the Roman home. Gay sports and laughters filled up the fleeting moments of the Saturnalia. The Roman celebration passed 
down through the Middle Ages and something of the license that had prevailed in the houses of Caesar and Sallust was adopted in the homes of our European ancestors. But in the modern conception of the New Year's, its duties is of higher and happier nature. It is not the Mayan, the Chinese, or even the Roman festivals. It is the opening of a new period in which better thoughts and purer motives may have freer play. We rejoice, visits are exchanged, good wishes shared, the hopes of the future rekindled, and new pages of life surveyed with no desponding eyes. In the new year that opens up, we have much to do. We are to remember more than ever that we are but men. We are to study more than ever how to help each other. And this original writing came from Harper's Weekly, written by Eugene Lawrence in 1887. The next article was a small one that was published in the Alma Record up in Alma, Michigan on December 28, 1888. And it refers to a Grand New Year hop. It says a Grand New Year hop is advertised by S. Messenger at Polinsky's Hall New Year's Eve. Everybody is invited. The success of the party Christmas evening is sufficient proof that this will be a grand party. Music by the Alma Orchestra. And so that was the advertisement for the New Year's hop in 1888. Sound like a fun time. In the Benton Harbor Weekly Palladium on January 9th, 1891, there was an article referencing the New Year's evening performances by the Campbell Dramatic Company, and it had three nights of engagement at Yours Opera House in Benton Harbor. And they described it as a series of meritorious and acceptable dramas and may be classed among the best repertoire companies that have favored our theater goers during the past year or two. Mr. Frank G. Campbell is an actor of unusual merit and ability and is ably supported in, in his respective roles by Miss Gabriella McKean, who is a lady of high dramatic accomplishments. All the other members of the troupe are excellent performers and appear to have had a practical experience on the stage. On Wednesday night, the company presented the entertaining, sensational comedy, The Ocean Waif. And on Thursday night, the favorite comedy success, Stocks and Bonds. And the audience was not large on either night. The rain Thursday night interfering materially with the attendance. The company gave good satisfaction during their stay here and really deserved a better patronage. And then it says that they went from there, from Benton Harbor, down to Michigan City for their next performance. So it was a night at the theater on New Year's Eve and New Year's Night in Benton Harbor that year in 1891. In the Grand Rapids Telegram Herald on December 27, 1891, they make reference to the Moses, Gage, and Benedict will give a New Year's hop on the evening of January 1st at the Ionia Street Armory. And another Pedro party will be given New Year's Eve by the Grand River Lodge. A Pedro was a card game, and it's spelled P-E-D-R-O. And it's a card game similar to Bridge. I don't know the rules of it, but apparently it's still played even today. So you card playing enthusiasts out there probably know exactly what Pedro is. But alas, I am but a novice when it comes to Pedro, and I was unfamiliar with the game. 
Now, in 1892, on December 27th, there were two articles in the Hillsdale Standard that I took note of. One of them was a story, which I'll read in a moment, and the other one was an article called A Few Resolutions, which I found somewhat humorous, but also eerily familiar to what we hear from people doing resolutions today. And it's called A Few Resolutions. Make them by all means... But don't tell your girl about it. Resolve that you will lead an upright and noble life. As you will promptly break this resolution, it will ease any qualms of conscience you may have at breaking any others. Resolve that you will speak nothing but good of your friends. In this way, you will be able to learn very shortly how very few friends you have. Resolve that you will never drink again. Then for a couple of weeks, you can tell your friends that you break your good resolution merely to drink with them, and they will feel very, very happy. Resolve not to marry. If married already, point to this resolution at the end of the year with pride. If a female, which is to be hoped you are not, tell all the men about it. Resolve that you will be prudent and economical during the entire year. If you are not, all will be well, for you will probably have to be economical next year to make up for it. Resolve not to tell your girl of your New Year's resolutions. She is probably a trusting young thing, and it will rend her heart to learn that, after all, you are not actually divine as she had supposed. And that's what it said there. It was signed by life. And at the bottom of this little article, there's this little cute cartoon of a man holding his head down. He's talking to a woman. And the title of this little snippet is called One Way to Ask. Mr. Bullings, er, Miss Cooings Clara, I have a question I would like to ask you. Miss Cooings, yes, well, Mr. Billings, don't you think it would be a good idea if er, this year, if this were the last New Year's that we came home single? I'll let that one sink in there with you. Don't anybody go out there and try that on New Year's Eve. Might get in trouble. The other story that was in the Hillsdale Standard on that publication date of December 27th, 1892, was a story called The New Year's Resolve. Why Squire Muffleton bought a suit for the doctor. Squire Muffleton walked leisurely down the street, puffing a fragrant Havana. The squire was a devout lover of the weed, one of those who pride themselves that smoking with them is a luxury rather than a habit and can be stopped at any moment. New Year's Day had dawned auspiciously for the squire. The old year had proved an exceedingly profitable one, and the new one bid fair to be, so the jovial justice was in an amiable frame of mind as he went along nodding and chatting to the passers-by with a good word for everyone. Presently, he met Dr. Fiddlegrease. A happy new year, doctor, said the squire, and many fat cases for you. The same to you, responded the medical man, and many new suits on your docket. The squire laughed heartily. Well, this is a glorious New Year's morning, he said. Yes, assented the doctor. Splendid. A first-rate morning for resolutions. The squire shrugged his shoulders. I never took much stock in New Year's resolutions. They don't amount to a row of pins. Well, I don't know. Look at Charlie Paddlepool. See what resolutions did for him? How's that? 
why three years ago he chewed tobacco incessantly, drank like a fish, and smoked all the time. Now he is a total abstainer. Just so, interposed the squire, smiling. You see, he began by resolving to stop chewing on New Year's Day. He went a year without chewing. Then he resolved not to drink and went a year without liquor. Last year, he concluded to quit smoking. And now he's completely cured of the injurious habit. I tell you, there's nothing like beginning the new year with resolves. Just so, repeated the squire cynically. But anyone can do what Paddlepool did on New Year's or any other day. Now look at me. I smoke from 8 to 10 cigars every day. Not because I'm addicted to it, but because I like to and can stop at any time. Why, bless your heart, it's no trick to stop smoking. The doctor looked wise and grinned. You think not? Certainly, said the squire, with confidence, no trick at all. The doctor's smile broadened. Well, squire, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll wager you a suit of clothes that you can't keep for one week a New Year's resolve to stop smoking. Agreed, exclaimed the squire, extending his hand and throwing away his half-smoked cigar. He went down the street whistling. In the evening, while the doctor was seated in his comfortable library, the squire was ushered in. It was his custom to drop over occasionally to visit his friend and discuss social and business affairs. Upon this occasion, the squire was in his usual good spirits and came in vigorously chewing a toothpick. He took a seat opposite the doctor. Presently, the latter lit a cigar, which the squire eyed jealously but said nothing, and soon the two were engaged in conversation. After a while, the squire rose to go, and as he did so, still talking, he took a long, tempting-looking cigar from his pocket. He smelled of it approvingly, and then as if... And then, as if recollecting himself, put it back. The squire continued talking attentively. Pretty soon, out came the cigar again. This time, he bit the end off, rolled it between his fingers, and placed it in his mouth. He felt in his pocket for a match, while the doctor, with difficulty, refrained from laughing outright. As the squire finished speaking, he struck a light and had taken but two puffs when the situation dawned upon him. The cigar dropped from his lips. The doctor was in a paradoxium of mirth. Doctor, said the squire soberly as he closed the door behind him with a bang, you'd better stop around in the morning and get measured for that suit. And that little story was written by Jean LaRue Burnett. So I found that to be a funny little story about New Year's resolutions. And it's kind of interesting to hear all the little nuances of the time period when you read the story. On December 29, 1893, in the Marshall Statesman, there were two articles concerning New Year's that I thought were of interest. One of them was entitled Ancient and Modern New Year Dates. And it says, The Jewish year, beginning upon the 25th of March, was the legal New Year in England as late as 1752, when the legal and social New Years were made to coincide by an act of Parliament. Before that time, the date was generally written 1648-49, meaning that popularly it was 1649, legally 1648. The change was made in Scotland in 1604, in France in 1564, and in Russia, Holland, and Protestant Germany in 1700. It is customary 
while it cannot be said to be universal, to watch the old year out and the new year in, and as midnight the church bells are rung in many places. And the other article was called New Year's in Paris. In Paris, New Year's is the principal holiday of the year, and the people of all classes enter into celebration with great enthusiasm. New Year's gifts are universal, and it is said that a hundred million francs change hands every year on this account. The president receives on this day, and the people in all walks of life exchange civilities. The boulevards are crowded all day, and the festivities are carried far into the night. And that was the the little bit of description about New Year's in Paris. In the Hillsdale Standard on December 31st, 1895, there were a few interesting articles in regards to New Year's. In fact, the whole paper was pretty much dedicated to the subject of stories related to New Year's Eve and the turning of the new year on this day. And I clipped a few of them here to read, one of them called Telling Fortunes from the Bible. In Scotland, an old New Year's custom for some people who wished to know what their fortune the new year was in store for them would consult the Bible in the morning. The sacred book is placed on a table and opened at random. The particular passage on which the forefinger rests is supposed to forecast in some way the fortunes of the ensuing year for the person making the trial. Then another clipping here says, New Year's in ancient Rome. The Romans offered sacrifices to Janus and were very careful how they conducted themselves for the first few days as upon their behavior depended their goodwill or ill luck for the coming year. The Saxons celebrated the advent of the new year with special rites and mistletoe cut in particular forms was a favorable gift. And the final story that I'm going to read is from this same paper, the Hillsdale Standard, in that same edition on December 31st, 1895. And it refers to a story about Benjamin Franklin. And the title of this article is You Must Not Waste Time. Dost thou love life? asked Benjamin Franklin. Then do not squander time, for time is the stuff life is made of. Once, when Franklin was in business as a printer and bookseller in Philadelphia, a man came into his place and dawdled about, examining the books exposed for sale. At last, having made up his mind as what he wanted, he inquired the price of the book chosen, and the clerk said, one dollar. Can't you take less than that? said the man in feigned surprise. One dollar is the price, said the clerk. But the would-be purchaser was not satisfied. I want to see Mr. Franklin about this, he said. Mr. Franklin is very busy in the press room, said the clerk. But I must see him, said the man. So the clerk called Franklin, and of him the man inquired the price of the book. One dollar and a quarter was the philosopher's reply. But your clerk offered it to me for one dollar, protested the man. True, said Franklin, and I could better have afforded to have taken one dollar than to have left my work at this time. Well, said the man, what is the very best that you can do in making a price on this volume? One dollar and a half, said Franklin. The man's eyes grew wide. Why, you said only a dollar and a quarter a moment ago. So I did, said Franklin. 
and I could have better afforded to take that sum then than $1.50 now. The man paid the price without any further quarreling. He had learned a lesson that Franklin wished to teach, that time is too valuable to waste. When I saw that article, it reminded me of my years in retail back in Atlanta when I used to own a store and at Christmas time, you'd get people bustling in and buying things and you really, for the most part, people never really haggled with price. And every once in a while, we would get someone that would walk in and want to haggle because that was the custom from whatever part of the world they came from on anything. They're used to going to the marketplace and haggling, and that was the custom of the time from where they come from. And they walk into your store, and they see that you're a small business owner, and they decide that you're they're going to haggle with you no matter what the price is. And I used to get very frustrated with this. And then I started doing exactly what Mr. Franklin described there. And I was surprised to see this article because it was a practice that was taught to me by somebody else. When they sit there and say, give me your best price, you just keep going up in price rather than go down, which is what they're expecting. And so we would go round and round on this sort of thing. And I would keep adding more to the price because my time was being taken up. And ultimately, we would eventually settle on the original price of the item, which is usually what I would do is I'd sell it to them for what we had originally offered it for. But if they were complete jerks about it, then we would hold firm on the higher price. Um, and sometimes they'd come back and uh, buy it at that, or sometimes they'd walk away. But um, found that very interesting and educational from Mr. Benjamin Franklin. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that this is my final show for this season. The next episode will be on January 1st, which is New Year's Day. And I have a special episode I'm planning for that to review some of my more interesting and fun guest interviews of 2022. So look forward to that on New Year's Day. But I wanted to share something with you that was submitted to me by Spotify about this podcast. And it was in a report that they provided to me called Wrapped 2022. And it was a review of the overall statistics of my podcast in the past year. And it was something I wasn't expecting, and it, it concluded a little bit earlier than the end of the season, so the numbers are going to be a little bit short from where they end today when you hear this episode. However, it was a very interesting insight into my first year on this podcast. And it says here that um, I created 2,792 minutes of new content. That was more than 99% of other creators in the history category on Spotify. So my podcast has more material out there and more minutes of new content than any other podcast in the history category, according to the Spotify app, which I found very interesting and quite a surprise. They also pointed out that my podcast has been listened to in 16 countries. And the top five countries is number one, USA, as expected. Number two was the United Kingdom. Number three was in New Zealand. Number four was in Italy. And number five is in Australia. So I want to give a quick shout out to all my listeners in those other countries, as well as the other 11 countries not mentioned here. I do have some people listening in France. Probably my cousin over there is listening to my show. Hopefully he's still listening. Then it indicated some really interesting facts here. It says, my podcast was in the top 15% of the most shared podcasts globally. 40% of 
those sharing my podcast were sharing it by means of text, 23% by Facebook, 21% by a direct link to somebody, and 15% by some other means, and 1% by Instagram. And my podcast, Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past, was in the top 10% of most followed podcast in 2022. 28% of the listeners that would listen to the show would eventually follow the podcast. And they also describe the character of people who listen to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past as an adventurer. That was how they described my audience. So to all my adventurers out there, thank you for following me all year long and helping me to get this podcast off the ground and sharing it with your family and friends. And I hope to continue to keep you interested in it in 2023. I've got some really fun projects coming up for the new year that I hope to share with you very soon. And I'm hoping to have some incredible guests in 2023. Of the episodes that I did this year, there are 133 episodes and 39 of them were guest interviews. And that takes quite a bit of coordination to accomplish. Now, some of my guests were repeating guests. I had a few of them that I would invite to come back on and talk about other topics. And so I had a few guests that came on about three different times. But for the most part, a lot of guest interviews were just one time only chance to interview the person. And I may have them come back on next year. And it's quite an interesting challenge to find interesting guests to interview on this show. Um, There's a lot of people I reach out to, and I would say of all the guests I've had on, that represents about one-fifth of the amount of people that I've reached out to and asked to be a guest on the show. Many times I do not get a response, and I still persist and try to follow back up and uh, convince them. I've talked to some people through email, and they've considered coming on the show, and then they kind of lose interest and disappear on me, or we just never manage to make a schedule that works or come up with a topic that they want to talk about. Um, that's happened a few times, but a lot of times it's just me reaching out to anybody that I think might be a great guest for the show. And I do a lot of research on the back planning for the show and trying to find guests. And um, and as anything, you're not always successful with every guest that you try to that you try to schedule. But I've had some amazing guests on this year, and I've had some that were quite a remarkable surprise to myself and it was so enjoyable to go through that experience in 2022 and it was a new dimension for me in terms of the podcast it was something different for me to overcome the challenges of working with a guest and working with all the all the connection problems that come along with that so it was an interesting year and i hope to have a lot more guests on in 2023 But on New Year's Day, I'm going to share with you a collection of some of my favorite um, guest interviews and little snippets from some of those interviews so that you can perhaps go through season one and look for those episodes yourself and have a listen uh, in case you missed some of them or you want to re-listen to them again if you'd already heard it. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the stories from New Year's from the 1800s and a recap of some of my statistics from 2022 in this podcast. As I look 
forward to another new year and a new year of episodes and a lot more fun for my adventurers out there on this podcast in the coming year. And I hope that you will join me next time. And as always, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. And if you could, in closing out the year, pay a visit to your Apple app or your Spotify app and leave a review about this podcast. It would be greatly appreciated and would help me reach even more people in the coming year. And until next time, thanks for listening. And I sincerely wish you all a happy, safe, and prosperous new year in 2023.